Um, what Brian's saying is appropriate because we're in a situation in America right now that's pretty scary, isn't it? Um, one of the, the uh, title of my message this morning, and by the way, uh, continue to pray for Welby because uh, I understand how shingles is. He's in pretty much pain right now. <clears throat> I got short notice on preaching, but God is sufficient, correct? I'd like some response this morning, whenever you, you like, it'd be great. Uh, my message this morning is about knowing God. And to begin with, I want to read uh, Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3. It says, and this is a Psalm of David, it says, The Lord is my light, the Lord is my light, and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Thank you. Of whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Let me ask you, where's your confidence today? What are you putting your confidence and trust in? One of the things that really bothers me nowadays is how much people are putting their confidence in how things are going politically. I'm, I'm not discounting that we need to be involved in politics. I'm a veteran. I'm a voter. I believe in our uh, government being the best form of government we have right now. But you know what? As believers, <clears throat> our confidence isn't supposed to be in democracy or even in America. Our confidence is supposed to be in a kingdom that's the form of government that God is all about. He's about the kingdom. And that kingdom is coming. And one of these days, this America is going to be just like one of the other nations, as the Bible puts it, a drop in the bucket. Now, that doesn't mean I'm anti-American. And don't get on Facebook and say what a bad person I am for saying that. But I have a higher power that I'm subject to that's more powerful than my government. And... Uh, our confidence must not be in our circumstances. It must be in God. Uh, in order to trust Him, in order to have that confidence, you need to know Him. And what I want to talk about this morning is basics. What is, who is God? What is He like? And what does He require of us? Those are three questions we all need to answer. Uh, most of us in here, I'm sure, have those answers. And some of this stuff will be old stuff for you. Uh, but we need to be reminded of this. Because if we start putting our confidence and our trust in what's going on around us, we're going to be knocked down flat. Let's start with, I want to look at his attributes. First of all, he is eternal. He has no beginning or end. He exists outside of time and space and material. This is very important. Because he's not bound by our laws. He's not by, bound by natural law. He is a miracle-working God. He began this thing. He's going to end this thing. And he was around before it ever began. And he's going to be around when this world ends. Uh, Genesis 1.1, of course, you're probably one of the most familiar verses in the Bible. In the beginning, that's time, God created the heavens. The heavens is space and the earth, and the earth represents material. In the beginning, he was there already, and he created these things from nothing. 
Second uh, Peter chapter three verse eight says, "Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Uh, that's eternity." In Psalm ninety verse two it says, "Before the mountains were born." Or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, it says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They all will come, become old like a garment, like a mantle. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed, but you are the same. And your years, your years will not come to an end. God is eternal. He has no beginning, has no end. And we have, as believers, by the way, eternal life. That doesn't mean we didn't have a beginning. We did have a beginning. But we have the same end, if you want to put it that way, as God does, eternity. And we're going to go from this life into a realm where we're outside of time, space, and material. It, it, that's, to me, that's exciting. That's exciting not to be bound by what we're bound by here. And that includes sin, by the way. So one of his attributes is the fact that he's eternal. The second is that he's the creator. Only God can make something from nothing. And I've looked into the uh, atheist viewpoints of how this world came about. And it doesn't, to me, it doesn't make sense. To them, apparently, it does. But if you take a naturalistic point of view of everything, you have to rule out anything outside of natural. That's why they came up with the Big Bang Theory. They, but they still can't say, well, where did the stuff come from that began the Big Bang? And something had to be there to begin with. They would say nothing, be, nothing became something, and then something became what we have today. The Bible says whether it's uh, old Earth or, or young Earth, you can debate on that, and I have my own opinions on that, but it had to have a beginning. And the beginning was something out of nothing. And that's where God came in. He was outside of that scientific area. So he's the creator. Nehemiah 9, 6 says, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens. The heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that's in it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave, give life to all of them. And the heavenly host bows down before you. And Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. So God is the creator. That's one of his attributes. He can create something from nothing. All we can do as humans, by the way, is take something that's already there and make it different. You know, we've got these microphones, we've got these monitors, we've got all these electronics going around about, around us. We didn't create any of the materials that made those things. We just took what God created and changed it. But he's the one who can make those things out of nothing. <clears throat> Another thing about God and his attributes, he's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. Uh, nothing is beyond his, beyond his comprehension. I like uh, Welby, one of Welby's uh, sayings that I've heard several times is, nothing ever occurs to God. Nothing ever occurs to him. He isn't, sitting, he isn't surprised by anything. He wasn't surprised when things happened last week on the, in the Catholic. He isn't surprised about the, the pandemic. He knows about these things. He knows the purposes of them. 
He knows the beginnings and the ends of those things that we don't know. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And then Psalm 139, which is one of my favorites, says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it, well, you know it all. You have enclosed me from behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Not only does he know everything about everything, he knows everything about me. He even knows, and you, by the way, and he even knows the thoughts behind your words before you even think them. That's how all-knowing he is. He's omniscient. He's also omnipresent. And that means that all of him is everywhere at all times. All of him is everywhere at all times. It's not just his big toe that's here in this church this morning. It's all of God is here. Everything that he is. And, and he's everywhere all at the same time. I can't put my mind around that. Uh, so he's omnipresent. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take wing, wings of the dawn, if I, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to you. Amazing God we have. He's, all of him is everywhere at all times. And it gets personal. He knows where you are. He knows what you're, you're doing. He knows you can't hide what you're, you're doing from him. He knows it all. Because he's omnipresent. He's there. Jeremiah chapter 23 says, Am I a God at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can, I, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. What a great God we have. And not only is he omniscient, omnipresent, he's also omnipotent. And that, that's another one of those big Bible words. Means All that means is he can do what he wants to. God can do anything he wants to. And we need to get used to that. Uh, sometimes we complain about what he's doing. But he's doing what he wants to do. His will is very powerful. Matthew 19, 26 says, And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That's what God, Jesus said about it. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says, See now that I, I am he, and there is no God beside me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. That's what he says about himself. And then Jeremiah says, in Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. We have an omnipotent God. He's able to help. He's able to be there. He's able to understand what's going on. And he's able to do. Now, these are some of his attributes. They testify to his power. You can know and believe these things about God without really even beginning to understand who he is. It's not 
just enough to understand God's attributes. We need to understand who he is. He has personality. He has, he has more than just his powers. We could, we could put these labels on any kind of an idol we wanted to and say that's true about that idol. That idol is just going to be a piece of wood or metal. Can't do anything. But we have a living God who has a, a living personality. And uh, we need to know something about his nature and character. Uh, his nature and character beyond his attributes. One of the first uh, things we need to understand about God's nature is that he's, his nature is love. Uh, John, 1 John 4, 7 through 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then we know, all know John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. His character is love. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that wonderful? That God's character is love. You know, I would like, and personally, it's my own opinion, I would, I would love that that was the only attribute God had, the only uh, nature and part of his nature and character that mattered. The world thinks that's what God is, just love. And uh, there's a lot of Christians, I think, that, that operate that way. He's just love. He doesn't care about other things. But part of his nature is also righteousness. In uh, Psalm 92, 15, it says, The Lord is upright. He's my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalm 145, 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. He's righteous. That means there is no wrongness in God. If you think he's, he's uh, doing you wrong, you're wrong. He's doing what he wants to do for the reasons he has and those reasons are righteous reasons. And he does that for unrighteous people. But to me, that's one of the most amazing things. The older I get, the more I see the vast extremity of my sin. And the older I get, the more I see the great mercy that God has, even though I'm a sinful person. Even in his righteousness, he cares for me. But, but my sin cannot breach his righteousness. Also involved in his... His uh, nature and character is holiness. <clears throat> Revelation 15:4 says, who, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your, your righteous acts have been revealed. God is holy. And Revelation 4:8 says, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who, who was and is and who is to come. Isn't that amazing? That one little verse talks about a lot of great attributes of God and, and the character of God is holiness. Sin has no place in God. Sin cannot exist in the face of God. And yet we're sinful people that come to him. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Another aspect of his character is that he's his justice. We have a God who is a just God. That means wrong things don't get past him. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 through 4. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. 
for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Don't you wish that God would get some of those people and, and give them what they deserve? Don't you, don't you wish that? Uh, be careful. God's, God's part is to be the judge. The fact that he, his character is justice means that he is the judge. We're not the judge. We can point out things that are wrong, but we can't pass sentence. He's the one that can pass sentence. So his, part of his character is justice. And also part of his character, and I wish this one was totally left out, <laughs> is wrath. We don't like to look at God as a wrathful God. We think of the wrath of God as an Old Testament idea. That was when he took Israel and pounded the nations, and that was his wrath being demonstrated. And we'd like to keep that separate from where we're at today. But the New Testament has a lot to say about God's wrath. In Romans 1.18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Is that going on today? Are men suppressing the truth? Do you know what the truth is in politics today? Do you know who's right and who's wrong? What is the reason? What is all this confusion about? What is all this chaos about? Everybody says I'm right, and they, and they, they won't listen to reason, and, and even if they do listen to reason, they don't change their minds. And it isn't just the Democrats, and, and it isn't just the Republicans. It's It's... It's the world today. We're, we're in a downward spin. And it looks like God's out of control, but I'm telling you that one of the reasons I think God had me do, talk about this this morning is to show that, that he's in control. And these are just circumstances around us, and we need to put our confidence where our confidence is well-grounded. And that's certainly not in the politics that are going on today and the, and the rioting and all this other stuff that's going on today. We can't keep our focus on those things and lose our focus on God and survive. We gotta get our focus back where it belongs. He's a, he's a God of wrath and he's gonna bring the consequences around sooner or later. Colossians 3 verses five and six. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed by the way, are those things going on right now? Which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And then John 3, 36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. There's people around us today, and maybe even in here, I don't know your hearts, that if you don't know the Lord, the wrath of God is... is uh, as it says here, the wrath of God, of God abides on you. And I think that's part of what we're seeing going on today. It's the wrath of God uh, that is abiding on people, and they're doing those kinds of things because of that. But then with, with his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his wrath, we have mercy. God has, God's character is that of mercy. Aren't you glad? Because a merciful God, aren't you glad for yourself that God took you as as a sinful person, a person who admits that he's wrong, admits that he's not what he should be, and God opens his arms and says, "I'm not going to give you what you deserve." That's what mercy is. It's, it's not getting what you deserve. 
Psalm 86, 5, For thou, Lord, art good, and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all of them that call upon thee. Exodus 34, 6, And the Lord passed before him, that would be Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You're, if you're a believer, you're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ because of God's mercy. He's a merciful God. Praise God for that. And he's also a God of grace. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you know these words. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. Aren't you glad you don't have to work for your salvation? Aren't you glad you don't have to worry about if I just sit in, and I, I, by the way, I've had some friends in the past who actually believe this. They, when they sin, they lose their salvation. And then they have to ask God in their life all, all over again. And they're, and they're waiting just on the edge of their seat, hoping that when they die, they aren't in sin, because then they'll be lost. Our, God, our God's grace is greater than that. He understands who we are and what we are. He understands that we're, we're, we're sinful. And we, and we not only make mistakes, but sometimes we do it on purpose. But he still loves us. He still extends his grace to us. And grace, by the way, is getting something that you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Isaiah 45 uh, verse 20 to 22 says, Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? There is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no, no other. His imitation of grace is to the whole world. Of all the attributes and characteristics of God, I, I think his love and, and mercy and grace are the ones that we need the most. They're the ones that are are directed personally to us as believers. His love caused him to act on our behalf. His mercy gave him the means to do it, and his grace was poured out on us through Jesus' work. Have you experienced his love and his mercy and his grace? I hope you have. <clears throat> so, Now we know a little bit about God. <clears throat> now this isn't everything about God by any means. This is the tip of the iceberg about what a great God we have. But even knowing all these things, we could just sit back and say, okay, God, do your thing. Is that how God uh, operates? No, God requires some things of us. And so now I want to talk about God's requirement. And this is where... <clears throat> It's not such a happy thought sometimes because what I hope to do here is to show us not just that we have failed, but that God works even in our failure. And, and God loves us and has great things for us in spite of our humanity, our sinfulness. <clears throat> the first requirement uh, that he has for us that I, that I came up with is holiness. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, and I hate these verses, by the way, <laughs> because they, they show me that I, what I'm not. <clears throat> it, says, it says in 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. How's that fit? <laughs> it doesn't fit for me. I, I try to be holy, I try to be right, but I keep finding myself falling back on the same old sins, the same old patterns in my life, and c confessing them again, and again, and again. I haven't reached that perfection. I met somebody over in England, by the way, years ago, who said he had reached sinless perfection in his life. And I said, no, you haven't. He said, yes, I have. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And his anger started to well up, and his pride started to well up. I didn't say anything more after that, because he was convinced. But, you see, I, I fall short of that holiness. How do I get, he demands holiness, so how do I get it? Is it available? Is it possible? His holiness comes by his provision and by our perseverance. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Imagine that. Just think about this. In the eyes of God, he's looking at me, and he's saying, you are holy, and you are blameless, and you are beyond reproach. This dirty, filthy vessel is standing before God, and because of Jesus, I'm holy. It moves me. It helps me understand what great love, what great compassion he has on, on a person like me. But it that verse, you know, I'd like to just stop there. In that verse. But it goes on. It says, If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. That means that you've got to persevere. There's, there's a personal effort involved here. Doesn't mean that you're going to be lost. Doesn't mean that you lose that standing. It just means that this is a consequence of your holiness that he sees in us. We've got to persevere. If you don't persevere, that's a sign that maybe you weren't saved in the first place. If you aren't concerned about your sin, that doesn't mean you don't. That doesn't mean you stop sinning. It means you're concerned about it. When people say to me, "I don't think I can serve the Lord because I have this area in my life that I just haven't conquered. I just haven't got victory in," I just say, "Are you trying? Are you working on it? Are you concerned about it? Are you uncomfortable being there? If you are, that's a sign of life, and that's that's what this is talking about. The sign of life." You're persevering. You're, you're working on it. So, uh, the next thing God requires of us is godliness. And that's part of this working it out that I'm talking about. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 says, But flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Godliness is in there. You know what godliness means? It means like God means you want to be like Jesus, like God. 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8 says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. Now, I didn't put that old women in there, by the way. God did. Okay. Well, don't get mad at me. Uh, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know, I'm thinking about what this is actually saying. Godliness is profitable for all things, 
since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know, when you live a godly life, people aren't going to like it. They're going to hate you for it because you're shining a light on, on what they failed to live up to. But that working in your life has made you a better person. Uh, and when I became a Christian, one of the first verses that came to life in me was that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. My life changed. I started striving to live a life like Christ, and I still strive to do that, and I fail in a lot of ways, but there's, I'm not the man I used to be. I'm, I'm different. I'm making progress, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a promise for the present life. It's also a promise for the life to come because if God works these great things in me, just imagine what it'd be like without sin in the picture. What a great, what a great life it's going to be. But that's godliness, and that's one of his requirements. How do you develop godliness in your life? Uh, the secret to that is his word. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. He's given us his promises in his word. If you're, if you're not reading the Bible, if you're not studying the Bible, which you should be, if you're not trying to live by what the Bible says and begging God to help you understand what it means, you need to change that in your life. The word of God is what gives me uh, power in my life. It gives me an insight on what's going on. It gives me insight on my own attitudes. My own thought life even is, is affected by his word. And when I neglect it, I become a worse person. When I pay attention to it, I become a better person. It's, it's pretty simple. Second Timothy 3, uh, verse 14 to 17. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and from childhood, if you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may become adequate, equipped for every good work. The word of God is, is the power of your life. And if you neglect it, you're going to be lacking that power. And that's the path to godliness. And then in James, it talks about being doers of the word, not hearers only. It isn't enough to just study scriptures. I've known people who could quote verses verbatim, throw them right back in your face and use, use the scriptures to, to beat you down. That's how well they knew them. But they didn't have, they didn't live. And this, by the way, being a doer of the word and not merely a hearer is one of the biggest convictions I have in my life. Because I know what to do, and a lot of times I just don't do it. And the Bible says that's wrong. Then uh, another thing that he requires is he's given us some rules to live by. Anybody ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Rules to live by. Uh, I could go through them, but I want to give you 
the preliminary, when the second time that, uh, you know, remember Moses broke the tablets and then he had to write them down himself and present them to the people. <clears throat> then he told Israel, he says, now, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? Remember, we're talking about requirements. But number one, to fear the Lord your God. Number two, to walk in all his ways. Number three, to love him. Number four, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And number five, to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good. You know, anybody, you know, we, we, we have a, a wrongful view of the Ten Commandments, by the way. We think that we have to live up to those things to please God. But really, the, there's two purposes in the commandments. <clears throat> first one is to give us a standard to live by. It's a good standard. Just imagine a world free from lies and greed and theft and murder and things like that that the Ten Commandments covers. Just think of a world without those things. It's a good standard. But, but secondly, the, and I think the main purpose of, the, of the, the commandments is to lead us to Christ by revealing our sin. Because when I say to you, have you ever told a lie? How many of you have never told a lie? Better put my hand down. Have you ever coveted? Have you ever lusted? Have you ever hated your brother? Jesus said, if you hate your brother, it's as bad as murder. We, you see, the commandments are, are a standard that we can't live up to, and it reveals the, the, our need for a Savior. It's our, it's a, the New Testament calls it our tutor, our schoolmaster. Now that you know that God requires of you, by the way, He, he requires perfection. He does, he says so, be holy as I am holy. How do you measure up to his standards? How do you measure up to the Ten Commandments? Have you ever broken any of his rules? Have you ever fallen short in your life? Have you failed? If you have, what, what hope is there for you? You know, the world thinks this is how Christians live, trying to live right, and, and by how good they do, then God says, well, you can come in or you can't come in. That's not how it works. He gives us his law to show us we can't live up to his law. He gives us his commands and, and his, his uh, uh, requirements to show us that we have no hope. And that's the bad news. We don't have any hope in ourselves. If, if, if uh, our performance is what we're judged on, I'm lost. As good as I am, as many things I do for the Lord, as active as I am in reading the Bible, if, if my performance was the basis on which I'm saved, I'm lost because I've fallen short. The good news is that we have hope. Romans 3, verses 19 to 26 says, Now we know <clears throat> whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. That's what the law is for, to make us accountable. <clears throat> because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Isn't that plain and simple? Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> See, what Jesus has done, he's justified us. Even though we've recognized we've come short of that law, uh, he's justified us and made us right. 
<clears throat> and uh, it says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is his son, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, that means satisfaction of the requirements. That's what propitiation means, for satisfaction of the requirements in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, I don't have to live up to that standard. He understands that I can't live up to that standard, but that standard reveals something to me. I'm imperfect. I'm a cracked pot, if you want to put it that way. I have a lot of holes in me, but God has justified me through Jesus. How do you appropriate this righteousness? this justification simply acknowledge your sin turn from it that's what repentance is and trust jesus and what he's done for you by faith salvation in christ means you don't just know about the lord and that's why i titled this knowing god it's not knowing about god everybody wants to know about god but they want to have god in their own terms and god's terms are different than our terms John 17, 3, These are, this is in, the, in the, what I call the Lord's Prayer. When he was praying for us in John 17, says, this is eternal life. This is what Jesus said. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know God is eternal life. And Romans 5, verses 6 through 10 says, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, that's an actual description of me. When I was lost, I was helpless. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't live good enough to please God. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I was an ungodly person. I was without God in my life. I thought I was a Christian. I called people I was a Christian. I went to church. I went to church all my young life. It was a, a liberal church that did not preach the gospel, did not preach the Bible, preached goodness, preached you got to live right. you got to be good. But it didn't preach redemption in Christ. And it says, For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, having been justified by his blood, we'll be saved from the wrath of God through him. We're, we're, we're saved, justified, and we're justified in that wrath that we talked about a little while ago. For while we were enemies, and most people don't recognize themselves as enemies of God, by the way. When I was lost, I was God's enemy. He says, if you're not for me, you're against me. I was, I was my own God. And the God that I had and that I thought was God was guy, God who answered, would answer my prayers to help me out. It was all about me. And that's where most people in the world are today. It's all about me. And, and you've got to get over me. <laughs> we, we've got to get over ourselves. Without doing that, you, you can't have salvation. You've got to recognize that you can't do it yourself. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And then Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Something happens to you when you become a Christian. When you get to that point where you recognize 
that yes, I am lost. Yes, I've been pretending all this time. Lord, I want to turn myself over to you. I confess to you that I've lied, cheated, stolen. You don't just say, Lord, I confess all my sins and think it's a blanket. Name them. Name what you've done wrong. Tell God that you repent of that. You want, to, you want to change. Even if you don't find the strength in yourself to do it, tell him you want to. That's where salvation can happen. And it's the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's something that happens in your life. He cleanses you. That's what the baptism of the Spirit is. He cleanses you, places you into the body of Christ. You become a new creation in Christ. Again, because of his love, mercy, and grace, we can have salvation. We can have eternal life. And again, I ask, do you know him? You can know about him, but do you know him? If you know him, submit yourself to him. Are you living as if you do know him? Is he the center and focal point of your life today? Is your hope truly in him, no matter how things run out? You know, things, we don't know how things are going to turn out in America. We don't do it. Is your, where are you putting your confidence today? It's a scary time to live here. It's time to stop living in fear, though, and put our confidence in God. He's, he's got this thing. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for your character. Thank you for your attributes. But thank you, Lord, so much for Jesus. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for making me the man that I am today. Thank you for the conviction of sin that you brought about in my life. I pray for myself, Lord, that you give me uh, the power to live the life the way you need me to live it, Father. We just give you praise and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.